It's the time of year when we're all thinking about goals and priorities. Now is the time to plan your next trip. Whatever kind of travel fills you up, whether it's lounging on the beach, connecting with family and friends, or going on a foreign adventure, Expedia has the tools you need to plan a great trip. Download the Expedia app or visit Expedia.com to start planning. You do need to be a OneKey member to use price tracking. Signing up is easy and free. Expedia, made to travel. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. On the surface, Gretchen Rubin had an enviable life. Married to the love of her life and the mother of two daughters, Gretchen lived and worked in her favorite city, New York. She was a graduate of Yale and Yale Law School and once clerked for Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. Gretchen knew she was blessed. Why then, she asked herself, wasn't she happier? Gretchen's personal quest to bring a deeper sense of happiness to her life inspired millions to create happiness projects of their own. I'm talking with New York Times best-selling author Gretchen Rubin about how we can bring ourselves a deep, lasting joy. I am so excited to have... I'm happy. <laughs> I'm, I am not just excited. I am happy. Excellent. To have, to, to have you here. And I'm very happy to be here. Well, thank you. Because you are the founder of The Happiness Project, which is a perfect name for this book and a perfect name for what you did. And I'm excited for and happy for the information I know you're gonna offer people today. So people are gonna now want to do their own happiness project. When I finished, I wanted to do my own happiness project because we have the power in our lives right now to be happier than we are. Absolutely. And what I'm hoping happens today is after our conversation, that people actually stop and think about your life because you're so in the doing, doing, yes. doing, doing, doing of it. So I'm gonna start where you started in the book. I love this moment, paint the picture yeah. for us, where you're on the bus yeah. and you're looking through the window yeah. and you see a woman with the umbrella and the, you describe it. So I was stuck in a city bus in the pouring rain and I didn't have anything to distract myself with. You know, so often you're just lost in something. And so I looked out the window and there was a woman with a stroller and a cell phone and umbrella, you know, kind of frantically trying to cross the street. And I looked at her and I thought, well, you know, that's me. That's my life. I'm just doing a million things all at once, barely paying attention as I'm crossing the street. And as I was sitting there on the bus, I had one of those rare opportunities for reflection when you really step back and think about your life. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought, what do I want from life anyway? And I thought, well, I want to be happy. But I realized I didn't spend any time thinking about whether I was happy or how I could be happier because I was so busy managing the stroller, the cell phone, the umbrella. I wasn't taking the time to think about what was missing, what I could add, 
how I could really be happier. And I thought I should have a happiness project. And it came to me like that. Wow. You know what I love about that moment is because everybody has had that moment. Yes. So the idea that comes across over and over again in the happiness project is you weren't unhappy. Yeah. You weren't unhappy. No, I was, I was perfect. I was pretty happy. I had all the elements of a happy life. And that was one of the key things I wanted to work on in the happiness project was I felt like I'm taking this for granted. Mm -hmm. I have all, everything I need already. Yeah. And yet I'm not paying attention. I'm getting distracted by like minor annoyances and grievances. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, I don't appreciate my ordinary day. I'm not thankful enough for it. I'm not, I'm not paying enough attention to what's happening to me right here, right now. Like my ordinary day is so precious. And yet, I wasn't paying any attention to it. And so, you know, over the years, many, many times on The Oprah Show, and almost every day after the show, I spent 40 minutes to an hour with the audience who'd come yes. from all over the country. And I would always start out by asking this question about what makes you happy or yes. what do you really want in your life? Yes. And everybody would always say, I want to be happy. And then when I would say, what does that look like? Yes. People couldn't answer the question. Right. Did you know the answer to that question? No, but I mean, that's the absolutely key thing because if you don't pay attention to it, you don't see the opportunities. I mean, what I found for myself is when I really sat down and thought, what would it look like if my life were happier? How, how, if I could eliminate guilt, boredom, resentment, anger, if I could have more fun, more engagement, more friends, more love, more tenderness, like how would I go about it? But I, what was really important was to realize to translate it into specific actions. Mm -hmm. Because you're right, when you just have sort of a free-floating idea like, I really want to be less stressed out. Well, how do you make that happen? It's like, it's not concrete enough. I, I think part of it is I have a very concrete mind. Yes. I need specific things to work on. And so when you think about, like your question, what would a happy life look like? You sort of have to really sit down and think it through. Like, right. what's, the, what's, what's the stuff that you could do? And that's what the happiness project is. Exactly. So you started out with a few simple rules. Uh, your own commandments. Yeah. Okay, I love this. Be Gretchen. Yes, that's the most important one by far. But everybody has to substitute their own name. Okay, good. Uh, yeah. yeah, you can't be Gretchen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's this idea that, and, and it's mysterious because you think, well, the easiest thing in the world is to be yourself. You just hang out with yourself all day. Yeah. But really, like, and the more I thought about this, the more I realized, like, it's the great challenge of our lives. Yes, yeah, as people are living their life yeah. for their other people, yes. for their friends, for their spouses, for their mother, for the other women at school. The way they wish they were, fantasy. Yeah. Um, and I realized, like, this, the first thing, the only way you can build a happy life is, you know, from a foundation of my own nature, my own values, my own interests. But what were, like, but there was a lot of ways that I was sort of pretending to be different from the way I was. Like, music. Like, I wish I loved music. Other people love music. I get why people love music. I don't really love music so much. And I had this fantasy that I could make myself love music, and then I'd be a better person, and if I only studied harder. But then when I gave up the fantasy of, of this other Gretchen who loved music, then I have more time for the things that I love. Like, what really is your life? Yes. And so this be Gretchen ended up really being almost, like, it almost covers everything. Yeah. That I did. Well, isn't that the number one spiritual law? Yes. To be yourself, to thine own self be true. I mean, isn't it, it, that really? No. And every, and every, every tradition teaches Tradition, it. religion, Everyone spiritual practice. Everyone repeats it in different words. Yes. And yet, and it seems like it would be so obvious and clear, and yet it's just, it's the constant challenge, I think. Okay. I love this. Okay. 
First commandment, be Gretchen, substitute your own name. <laughs> uh, let it go. Yeah. Let what go? Anger, resentment, grudges. Like, don't get worked up about the minor Act things. the way I want to feel. So this is interesting. Psychological research shows that people think, we think that we act because of the way we feel. I'm throwing things because I'm angry. But to a very great extent, we feel because of the way we act. So if I feel resentful, but I act kind, I'm gonna feel more kindly. And so it's very hard for us to, to directly affect our emotions. It's really tricky to control your emotional state, but you can control behavior. And so if we act the way we wanna feel, then we're gonna feel the way we wanna feel. Uh, be polite and be fair. I had a boss who said, to, well, I was getting a promotion and I was worried about whether I was gonna be able to do a good job. And she said very sternly, be polite, and be fair, you'll be fine. And I was like, that basically covers everything in life. It really does. It does. It really does. Okay, enjoy the process, that's oh, big. That my, this is my father's mantra. If you enjoy the process, then you can let go of outcomes. Everything doesn't have to work out your way if you enjoy the process. Okay, no calculation, what does that mean? Well, this comes from my spiritual master, St. Therese, and she said, when one loves, one does not calculate. And I'm kind of a bean counter, like, I did this for you, so now you should do this for me, like, especially in marriage, like mm -hmm. keeping score. Yeah. And scorekeeping is not the loving way. So just uh, let it, like, just do it. About doing a thing and then wanting your husband, Jamie, yes. to say, wow, wasn't yeah. that wonderful that you did that? <laughs> exactly. Yes. Or like, since you did this, like, you had your turn, now I have my turn. But no calculation is like, we, we can No just, keeping score. No keeping score. So how have you eliminated that keeping score for yourself? I haven't done it 100%, yes. um, but just the reminder. I mean, one of the things I like about the personal commandments is because they're very short, I can kind of keep them in mind all the time. And when I catch myself in that cycle of scorekeeping, I'll say to myself, no calculation, no calculation. That's not what I want for myself. You know, I want to expect myself to behave better. And there is only love. Oh, a friend of mine went to work for a very difficult boss and she just realized she couldn't work for this guy if she like let him get under her skin, so she just said, there's only love, there's only love. And she would not allow herself to think, like to go into a negative or gossip about him behind his back or like get worked up about him. Because one of the things that you talk about is how damaging gossip is. Yes. And we live in a gossip culture. We do. You know why it is? It's because everything's energetic. And the yeah. energy of yes. gossip that you're putting out is automatically already coming back to you. And the, that energy out yes. creates a negative space for yourself. Well, Isn't that the truth? Yes, and there's also this other thing that happens, which is called spontaneous trait transfer, which is whatever you say about other people sort of sticks to you. So if you say about someone like, oh, well, you know, she's such a, she's such a loser, yeah, you're gonna get associated with that term. So you're hurting yourself in all kinds of ways. Did you know that it's Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meave. Plus, you can help to support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in-store to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, 
and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. So let's talk about why you started the project and what happened to you in that year. Well, I started the project because I really wanted to work on all these things. And I realized, you know, you think, well, you could just do it, like just do it as you go along. And because I, the idea was that you could make uh, an extraordinary difference in your life by making small changes. Yes, right. because a lot of times people make, have, have dramatic happiness projects. Yes. Like Elizabeth Gilbert's goes to foreign lands or Thoreau lives in a you know, little hut in Walden. Walden, yes. Where people give up cell phones for a year. And, and I love those kind of radical happiness projects and I like, yeah. get a big kick Didn't out of them. Didn't we all want to eat and pray and love some? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But most women, even uh, Elizabeth Gilbert will say, say, I, you know, my life doesn't allow for that. And I have to say, for me, that's not the kind of happiness project I want. I wanted one in my ordinary day, just sort of the natural course of my life. Yes. I really thought, I can do this in my own kitchen. So tell me, how'd you start? Tell us how to start thinking about it. I thought about my life and how I wanted to be Gretchen and what I needed to work on for me. Um, and then, and I divide, I found 12 areas and gave one to each month. And then I thought of a few manageable, concrete resolutions that I thought would help me achieve progress in that area. Gretchen began by first identifying the parts of her life that brought her joy, satisfaction and engagement. Second, she examined the source that brought on feelings of guilt, anger, boredom, and remorse. Her resolutions helped her move more mindfully through her day, celebrating small moments by being present and grateful as she experienced them. So one of my themes was marriage, so kiss in the morning, kiss at night. That was like a little concrete thing that I could try to do, or with my, with, uh, to try to have a better attitude. One of, my, one of my themes was attitude. Sing in the morning. It turns out if you sing in the morning, it really start, it's like a nice way to start I started doing that just because you said it in the book. Well, what did you find? And it literally changes your vibration. It does. It changes your vibration. It's lighthearted. It's, it's energetic. Yes. Yeah. So, right. And so this little thing that takes no time, energy, or money ends up making a difference. And Just a little shift. And that's what we're talking shift. about, making little shifts. Manageable things. Because happiness is your spiritual practice. Absolutely. And it's, it's right to use the word practice because it's practice and that it's over and over and over and all these things. You know, a lot of the things I've worked on, keeping my temper. I have to work on that all Which the time. Which is so interesting that you have to work at being happy. Absolutely. Because people, you know yes. what? We live in a country where we believe that it's our birthright. <laughs> and people think that they're automatically supposed to have it. What I really appreciated about the book was that you see that it's about developing a muscle for yourself. Absolutely. And so when you organize month per month, did you stick to it all the time? I really did. You know, I mean, I started in January. By December, I was doing everything. My last month was trying to be perfect on every front, which I did not do. But, um, 
But what I found is, you know, people often said like, well, but then that was so many things to be working on, but almost all of them made me happier. And so it, it, it didn't feel like a lot of extra work. I love how you stayed in the book and I want everybody to think about what would be your own happiness project, that everybody's happiness project would be different. Yes. And so what you explore in a year's time in the book, and you set up a year, so yeah. somebody else could set up six yeah. weeks, three months, whatever yeah. it is for right. you, right. to determine what would make you happier. But everybody's is individual. Yes. That's why it's a happiness project. Yes. And it's not, I can't follow no. yours and you couldn't follow mine. No, because one person's happiness like one person's interests and values and temperament and situation would be so different. You can't, you couldn't just copy it. Part of what's fun and creative about it is figuring out, well, what would it be for you? And also you came up with your own idea of your secrets of adulthood, <laughs> which most of them, I actually all of them, I agree with. Uh, people don't notice your mistakes as much as you think. Right? We all feel like it's the spotlight effect. We all feel like everyone's paying attention to us. But they're paying attention to a lot of other things. And so you can just remember, like, people, like, if I screw up, I'm like, people aren't paying as much attention. I as know. Think. I remember in the early years of me becoming a, quote, known person, every time somebody would say something about me that wasn't true, I would oh. get so upset. Right. I mean, can you imagine? Yeah. It's incessant. It's incessant. Right. And it was Quincy Jones who said to me one time, this exact law ah. of adulthood. Oh, He goes, great. baby, if you knew how little people were thinking about you. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't even be upset. So people don't notice your mistakes as much as you think. It's very reassuring to, to realize, like, you mess up, you, you make a mistake. Other people aren't as focused on it. Yeah. Okay. It's okay to ask for help. This is so hard. I don't understand why I struggle with this so much because it's okay to ask for help. And usually when you ask for help, you get help. And things get easier when you ask for help. Um, it's okay to ask for help. And happiness doesn't always make you feel happy. Explain that one. Well, you know, it seems that sometimes when we're doing things that make us happy, it doesn't make us feel happy. I remember a man who told me about how he was like spending a lot of time at the bedside of his very sick father, and his father was, had been a terrible father. So they didn't have a loving relationship. It was no fun to go to the hospital. And he was saying, I don't know why I'm doing this. Like, I don't enjoy it. I don't have a good relationship with it, but it was like, but he was living up to his idea of doing what it, the thing of what you're supposed to do. Well, he wanted to be a good son, and like, and so in one way, it was making him happy because he was doing, he was being a good son, even if his father had not been a good father, and that's what he wanted to expect from himself. So in a way, it made him happy. Sometimes people act like happiness is always like gonna send us skipping down the street. It doesn't always work out that way. So you have to remember, well, sometimes it doesn't. Or when you're doing something new and challenging, it can be very, like it can make you feel really bad and insecure and defensive, but then in the end, you're glad you did it. So what you do every day matters more than what you do once in a while. This is very comforting with, especially getting into habits. Because yes. it's like, if you're healthy most days, that day that you screw up, it's gonna be okay. Yeah. And so, you wrote a book called Happier at Home. Oh, I love Happier at Home. Yes. Happier at Home. Yes. That's when I decided to go really deeply into the idea of home because it seemed to me it's one of the few universals. Almost everybody has an idea of home tied to happiness. And if you're not happy at home, it's hard to be happy. Because one of the things you explored so much in that book is the idea of clearing clutter. Yes. How clutter is directly yes. connected to your experience of happiness and, and gratification. To kind of an uncanny degree, because you'd say like, oh, the fact that you have a messy desk doesn't mean, like it seems trivial in the context of a happy life, and yet, for most people, it seems that outer order contributes to inner calm. 
and that if you make your bed in the morning, you're just going to feel calmer and more, both calmer and more energetic all day long. Oh I don't, my goodness! I, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't sleep in an unmade bed. Right. Even if the bed had been left unmade, I would have to make it before I got in it. Yes. So you realized that you, your, your craving for simplicity was also bringing you a sense of happiness. Yeah, I mean, and I, it's, it's funny because I realize that some people have more of a affinity for simplicity and some for abundance. And I realize from what I did that I, have a, I really love simplicity. But that doesn't mean just throwing everything away. It means really carefully calling through so that I have only the things that I... I need, that I use, that I love. Because that's the way you say we can be more engaged with our possessions. Yes, is to get rid of all the junk. But I have, but when I was looking at all the differences in how people form habits, one of the things I noticed is some people just love to have a lot of abundance. They like lots of choices. They like collections. Yes. They like a lot of visual stimulation. And to me, that's like, ooh, don't you want to get rid of all that? Um, like my younger daughter has collections all over the place. And I'm like, don't you want to get some clear surfaces? But for her, each one is meaningful. And so we have different senses of what we want. But if you know what suits you, then you can create the environment that's right. I just realized recently, uh, I'm, bas I'm living in California where all these years I've lived in, in, in Chicago. And I was standing in my closet and I realized my closet no longer makes me happy. Oh, you think a lot of people would uh, back you up on that. My closet doesn't make me happy yeah. because my closet no longer serves the way I live. Right. So it doesn't have anything to do with me, but I keep holding on to yes. these dresses or this da-da-da. This heavy like, coat. Heavy coat. Because I think, well, one day, you yes. never know, I might be cold. Or I love this. I love this, yes. I spent too much on this. Yes, and so <laughs> to be able to start now pulling out that closet and reorganizing that closet and only having things in the closet that I love, yes. which I know you did, yes. two for a year, yes. just having the things in your immediate environment yes. that bring you joy or make you happy. Yes. That's a big, big thing. No, and I think, I think we overlook the kind of spiritual dimension of material objects. If you don't love it, it has no spiritual value. Yes, I mean, and there are things you don't use, but you do love them anyway, yeah. and so they have a place in your home because yes. you just love them. Yes, there was a moment I recall in the book where you were passing a shelf and there was your daughter's little macaroni drawing or something <laughs> on that, and, yeah. and, and just looking at that yes. little macaroni drawing. Yes. I think it was macaroni, wasn't yes, it? Yes, macaroni yes, macaroni drawing. and cotton balls, yes. Yes, macaroni and yes. cotton balls brought you a sense of pleasure and happiness. So that's a, that's a prized object right. for you, right. a value. And it's funny because I think when you're in a place with, that's full of things like that, it's not like they're alive, but they kind of have like a benevolent presence. Like you feel, it feels rich. But then when it's stuff that, like, things you've never used, you know, like that kitchen gadget that you've never used, it just kind of makes you feel guilty, too. Like, just let it go, and it will live a long and happy life with someone else Absolutely. who will treasure it. And then you'll have more space on your shelves and more space in your conscience, because the stuff kind of weighs us down. Isn't it amazing how the happiness that you got from just cleaning out your closet... It's cleaning out a drawer. It's uncanny. And then the people blog you about, see, I clean my medicine cabinet <laughs> no. and I feel like a new human being. Yeah. No, somebody, yes. A friend of mine said, oh, I, fi I finally cleaned out my fridge and now I know I can switch careers. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank. Some things should be boring, like banking. Boring is safe and reliable. You don't want your bank to be entertaining. Entertaining is for podcasts with inspiring celebrity guests, not banks. PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money. 
so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is the service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Inc. PNC Bank, National Association, member FDIC. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's, huzzah, a toast to breakfast. And so there's also, you write about psychic clutter. Yes, oh my gosh. The to-do list, the undone things, the, the projects, the unfinished projects. Um, one of the things I did to clear that psychic clutter is every week now I have an hour called Power Hour where I do a bunch of pro um, tasks that I've been, you know, procrastinating, you know, maybe months, years. The light bulb, the shredder, get a new desk chair, um, figure out where I lost my passport, you know, all that stuff that just keeps getting shoved down the list. And so it's just clogging up my mind. You know, I keep thinking, oh, I should do that. Oh, I don't want to do that. Oh, I'll do that tomorrow. Power hour, march through that list. Eventually everything gets done. And it's so interesting because uh, one of the things you write about is the fact that, you know, there's so much research done on, on, on happiness. And most of it does not include any kind of reference to how decluttering can change your life. Yeah, no, and, but yet popular culture is constantly talking about the problem of That's clutter right, and of how course. to organize it. And so it's not that we're not aware of it because people clearly feel it very much, but it isn't a subject of much research, which surprises me. Yeah. I think that there should be research on that. But order creates serenity. Yes. What do you think you really gained from the Happiness Project? You know, it's funny because, you know, on the one hand, someone would say, well, did you fundamentally change? Well, I didn't fundamentally change. I'm still Gretchen. I'm still the same person mm -hmm. I was. But what I gained was that my experience of my life is different. Um, you know, I have less guilt and less anger and less boredom because and less Because you worked resentment. on it. Because I worked on it. And I have more fun and more friends and more tenderness because I worked on it. And, and so I feel like, although I'm the same, um, my experience of my life is so much richer. And also, you know, one of the sad truths, and I know you've talked about this, is the only person that we can change is ourselves. And that's very frustrating. Because you, you think, well, I'd be so happy if other people behave properly. Let me tell you what to do. Um, but what I found is that when I changed, then relationships changed. And when I changed, the atmosphere around me changed. Yeah, because so, you asked your husband at the end of the year, yeah. had he gotten happier or how he had been affected by it? And initially he said no, right? Right. right. He but, said no. But now he absolutely said, I mean, it's clear. It's completely, all these things. Have but he had changed in ways he didn't even know he was changing. Absolutely. You're saying he yes. was more willing to yes. do things around the house Pitch without in. you even ask? Yes. Yeah. He now answers my emails, which doesn't sound like a big thing, but it represents major progress. Um, because, yes, it's like when I changed, when I was more, when I stopped keeping score, he stopped keeping score. And when I was more patient and thoughtful and lighthearted, and he lightened up too. And so when I was behaving myself better and sort of living up to what I wanted to be more, then it, I think it helped the people around me kind of raise up too. When you became better than before. Yes, yes. When you became right. better than before. Better than before. Better than before. My motto, yes, yeah. better than before. Not perfection. Yeah. Better than before. That's good enough. Gretchen's life motto is also the subject of her latest book, Better Than Before, mastering the habits of our everyday lives. She has fascinating insight on how our daily habits directly impact our happiness. Makes sense to me.
And how do we get to be better than before, Gretchen? Well, one important tool in our toolbox, I would say, is habits. That if we work on our habits, which is about 40% of everyday life, research shows, then we can really direct our lives in ways that are gonna make us happier, healthier, and more productive. By mindfully choosing our habits, we harness the power of mindlessness as a sweeping force for serenity, energy, and growth. Yes. Because you know, habits are mindless in that they happen automatically, but that's their strength. You know, before I was a regular exerciser, I would just exhaust myself. Today, tomorrow, should I go? It's too cold, my foot hurts, it's raining. And I would just exhaust myself debating. But now that I just go, I can, I, I've mindfully made the choice to exercise, so it just happens. So when you decided to do uh, uh, better than before, when you decided to step, take the happiness project to yet uh, another level, did you sense that you had then reached a point where you could be consistently happy? Could you be consistently happy? You know, that's an interesting question because I didn't worry about that because I feel like I want to be as happy as I can be under the circumstances, but I didn't expect myself to be consistently happy like t all the time. Did your base level happiness change? Because some people are just happier than others. Yes, Tiggers and Ewers. Yep. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Like my friend Gail, dear God in heaven, yep. one of the happiest people I've ever known consistently happy. Right. Well, and about 50% they think is genetically determined. Has so to that's be. just, you just, you're hardwired that way. And then about 10 to 20% is life circumstances. So that's things like age and health uh -huh. and uh, uh, occupation. Mm -hmm. um, and then the rest really is where our own thoughts and actions come in. So you're right. We all have our, like our, where we're our set, but then we can push ourselves up to the top of that range or push ourselves down to the bottom of that range on our conscious thoughts and actions. So yeah, maybe one person's an Eeyore and one person's a Tigger, so their range would be different, but we can all do the best with what we have. Because mm -hmm. I think, um, because you're right, you're not gonna put somebody in a completely different part of the... That's right, so can, did you change your baseline happiness level or did your baseline stay the same and just got enhanced? I think my baseline stayed the same. I think my range, I took a test on a one to 10 scale and I was a seven. Yeah. Um, I think my range is like six to nine. I'm not, I don't, I'm not a 10 person, but I think I'm a six to nine. That's a good place to be. And I think that instead of being around seven most of the time, I'm around eight or nine most of the time now. because of my conscious thoughts and actions. Because I've done so much to get rid of the things that dragged me down and to add the things that really lift me up. So if somebody was going to attempt the idea of being better than before, I know they should read the books <laughs> first, but fundamentally, fundamentally, what do you think is the shift that needs to happen? You know, I think when it comes to forming habits, it, I mean, it's just back to what we were talking about with happiness. I think that the critical first step is to think about ourselves. What is true for us? Can we each be happier? I think we can, but I think what we would do to do that- It's different. It's different. Okay, it's very that's, that's the thing. different. And so you can't, I can't say, oh, it worked for Oprah, so it will work for me. But wouldn't you say that there are some things that do work because, um, constantly on Super Soul Sunday, I'm reminded by everybody who sits in this chair in one form or another about the practice of mindfulness. Oh, well, yes. I think yes. being mindful yes. in whatever you're doing, which to me means being fully present, being yes. fully engaged, being connected, lifts your ability to be happy in any given situation. 
That is absolutely true. Now that's a general overall. Yes, right. That's almost no like a, who you it's are. sort of a state of mind, yes. which is are you engaged in whatever is happening? Are you even experiencing the experience of what's happening? And, and that's like, whether it's washing dishes or skipping through the grass, right? And it's interesting because I think habits have an unusual, they're sort of in this funny place there because on the one hand you want to shape them mindfully, mm -hmm. but it is true that part of the, their power comes from the fact that you, you're not making decisions, you're not using self-control. So better than before you talk about this and you say that when we change our habits, listen to me super solars, we change our lives. We can use decision-making to choose the habits we want to form. We can use willpower to get the habits started. I love that because there's a difference, you know. Then, and this is the best part, we can allow the extraordinary power of habit to take over. We take our hands off the wheel of decision, our foot off the gas of willpower, and rely on the cruise control of habits. That's the promise of habit. And we all have our own habits. Yes. We all have a habit of bathing, I hope, <laughs> yeah. uh, or showering, I hope, brushing our teeth, yes. I hope. And that's what happens when you make something a habit, you take your foot off the gas of willpower, so you don't need willpower to brush your teeth. Right, you don't decide, it's not agony. Because a lot of times people say to me, well, I really want to make more healthy choices in my day. Mm -hmm. And I think, we, no, you don't want to make a lot of healthy choices. Because every time you choose, you can choose wrong. You want to make a healthy choice and then stick to it. So it's like, I'm going to choose to bring my lunch to work every day. I'm, every morning I don't decide anew. That's my habit. I don't have to decide. I don't have to use willpower because it's just, it's done. Okay. And that's why you call it better than before, mastering the habits of our everyday lives. And so it first comes with a sense of, as it does everything, a sense of self-awareness self yes. about what would it take to make your life happier? Tweet, tweet. <laughs> so I thought it was interesting how you mentioned that, and, and this is, I think, for everybody uh, who is, has any level of awareness, you're happier if the clothes aren't all over the floor in your bedroom. <laughs> right. You just are, yeah. you, you don't even yeah. know how, much happier that makes you to walk into a room, yeah. into your bedroom, where the clothes are put away. Yes. But you used to be the kind of person who would put the clothes away and then want your husband to say, oh, you put the clothes away. Right, yes. Yeah. No, I'm a gold star junkie. I yeah. constantly want yeah. praise and appreciation. I saw myself in, 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 in that story of yourself. I thought, oh, gee, so am I. Oh, yeah. You know what? Because nothing made me happier in the third grade than to get that gold star. Right? Yeah. It's so satisfying. So satisfying. Yeah, no, and, and, uh, but what I found is that when I would do something thinking like, oh, good, this is going to get me a gold star, especially for my husband, and then I didn't get one, I was... If he didn't notice that you did it. He didn't notice. Oh, I cleaned up the kitchen. He didn't say anything. Like, what? You didn't notice? Like, I did this whole nice thing for him? And, um, and so then I'd get angry and resentful, and I realized that if I would just acknowledge that I love a gold star... Um, but I'm not going to expect them from him. I'm not going to expect a standing ovation every time I do something. Um, that's giving I, up calculation, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, that's giving It's all tied together, all tied yes. Together, yeah. um, but then, then it didn't matter how he reacted. Because I think this, this desire for gold stars really gets you into this really negative balance with people where you're, at least for me, I was wanting to get something from them yeah. and angry when I didn't get it, where it was all in my head. Are you happier now? I am. I am. But my experience of my life is a lot happier. Everything I've done. Why do you think we're all here 
Gretchen, what are we all doing on the planet? What's our purpose as human beings? What are, what are we all here doing? I think our purpose is to accept ourselves and to expect more from ourselves, to understand who we are and to expect ourselves to live up to that ideal better. Leave better than we came. Yes. Better yeah. than before. Better than before. Do you think that being happier made you a more soulful, connected, spiritual person? A hundred percent. I'm like the least mindful person on the, in the, on the planet. And really working on it like this really helped me connect to, uh, to a more spiritual way of living. It seems like also um, living a life that's, that allows you to be better than before, living a life where happiness and mindfulness is, your, is at the core of your center, it would bring you to a greater sense of awareness and fulfillment and gratitude. Oh, I, I, yeah, the, like you would live in a space of gratitude. No, absolutely. I mean, I think the sense of thankfulness, appreciating the grandeur of everyday life, just the ordinary day, and really taking the time to take it in is, is absolutely crucial. And then when you have that thankfulness also, then so many other negative emotions get washed away, like resentment and anger and you know, grievances, grudges, um, because you're just so thankful for what you have. It really puts it, it's, and it also, it's better with a sense of humor. It helps me keep my sense of humor because it helps me keep my sense of perspective. And your advice to people who are stepping into this path, into their own happiness project. You know, I mean, from my observation, it seems like sometimes people get discouraged. They feel overwhelmed or they've struggled with things before and they haven't succeeded. And so they feel concerned or like, drained. But really from what I've done with myself and what I've seen from other people is that when you take the time, if, when we think about what's really true for ourselves and think about how to put that into practice in our everyday life, there really are things that we can do to really make ourselves happier and healthier and more productive and have the life that we really feel like we were meant to have. Well, I thank you because you've made me want to do my own happiness project. Excellent. Yeah. Terrific. And I'm already pretty happy. Yeah? Yeah, but I'm going to up the ante. There man. you go. I'm going to send you two emoji thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.